day the other week, but little did I know, it really changed the way I saw my faith. My, fa uh, my faith became complete as I knew what a relationship could look like with the Father. And I started to experience that more and more over the years. Uh, I met at Mark again in 2019. Uh, it, we were invited for by a series of events. Uh, we've had, we had James and Denise Jordan up here. Uh, we went over to, to New Zealand for a month and Mark was uh, uh, a really pivotal part of that whole uh, one month time. So it was just so good to get reacquainted with Mark and so I've, s I've seen how the Father has moved with him and moved uh, with, through him with the people um, that he's spoken to. And uh, it's just a, such a privilege to have him here. And, uh, and I just um, thank you, Mark, and just uh, give him a welcome. And I just introduce Yeah. God is always present, what is absent is awareness. God is always present, what is absent is awareness. And um, But we can grow in awareness. And we know God is everywhere all at once, but he is also manifestly present to each one of us. And I have been working with people all my life, but um, for decades anyway, and one of the greatest things I learned was how to, for me to practice the presence of God and find Him, um, and find Him. So Paul was on Mars Hill. Mars Hill is in Athens, and he was there speaking, and he's speaking to a bunch of people that are just all in their heads, the, the Greek philosophers, and he's on Mars Hill, and he, he's saying a bunch of things, but one of the things he says in Acts 17, around verse 26, he said, God determined the time you will be born and the place you will be born, and he did this so that you could reach around and find him, though he be not far from each one of us. And <coughs> I was born in New Zealand, and... Um, I grew up in New Zealand, and I, I don't know, we're, we're all part of the Commonwealth, you know, and in New Zealand, um, it's quite affected by English culture. I didn't really realize that until I started traveling around the world. And one of the things you've got to be in New Zealand is the strong, silent type, you know, like, don't get too excited, um, don't show too much emotion, um, suck up the pain and keep going, sort of thing. And I missed that memo. You know, so I was always an excitable guy and lots of fun and, and you know, couldn't shut up. And that guy, there was a guy on the plane just like it when I was flying up here today, just really annoying. And, um, and, and you know, in my country there's some tough people. Thank you. I don't know if you know, any Star Wars fans here? Oh, there are a few, right. Well, the entire clone army, right, the clone army is based on a New Zealand character's 
um, it's the, the actor is Timuera Morrison. Uh, he plays Bo who, who are the clones based on? Jingo Fett or Boba Fett? Jingo. So he is Jingo Fett, and he's a New Zealand Maori. Okay, so all the clones are New Zealand Maori. I just want you to know that. And um, fierce guys. And so I would annoy them, you know, with my big mouth, and they would. Um, it wasn't until later in life I understood why I was given the mouth I was given. But as a younger man, um, uh, I would be around some pretty intimidating people. Like I put myself in dangerous situations regularly. I still do. And they would talk to me like this. <laughs> you got a big mouth. Maybe I should shut it. Or this classic question, I don't know if you have it here. Do you want to smack in the head? Do you hear that one here or something like that? And I'd always say, no, one's not enough. I want two smacks, <laughs> you know. So I could really talk myself into bad situations, but mostly I talked my way out of them as well. But I was left with this thing. Why can't I be like everybody else? Like, how come I'm different? And how come being different makes me feel like I don't fit in here? <laughs> Then I went to the, <laughs> then I went to Southern California, <laughs> and um, people would say to me, "Mark, you're like a California surfer," and I'm like, "I feel like one, you know, like I feel like I belong here," um, and I, yeah. So, um, and then I thought, why couldn't I be born in North America, you know? And I came to, I've been to Canada many times. I used to, when I was a teenager, I used to sail here from New Zealand on cargo ships, just up to Vancouver. Who was I telling you? Yeah, so we'd sail from New Zealand. Um, we'd go up to like Hawaii, Los Angeles, then Va Vancouver. We'd have a, I don't know, the engineers did something for a few days there, which is fantastic. So you get a few days ashore. And then we'd sail down to Tacoma and Oakland and San Francisco and Los Angeles and maybe Hawaii or Fiji and then three ports in New Zealand and then just keep going backwards and forwards. And so, you know, I first came to Canada when I was 18. And I've been here many times. And my my uncle, um, he emigrated here in about 1968, 69 to the other side of the country. Um, I think he moved to Montreal. He was an architect. And he lived all his life in this country. So Canada was always super cool when I was growing up, you know, because he'd bring presents from Canada, you know, like super cool. And um, then he moved up to Toronto and... Um, yeah, so I'd visit him and and then all sorts of stuff. But anyway, I just wished I was born in North America as a younger man. Like, why couldn't I have been born here? It would have been a lot easier. And then the scripture where Paul writes, um, he doesn't write, he's speaking to the Greeks, right? Or might as well, that's right. It's written in Acts 17. God determined the exact time and the exact place that you will be born. And he did this so that we could reach around and find him because he'd been not far from each one of us. So he's actually saying this to a bunch of Greek philosophers, that God is present to you and you can reach around and find him if you know how. And so I just thought we'd take a couple of minutes to just, um, you know, so often when you come to something like this, you have worship and worship helps you connect in your heart. And so um, I love connecting in my heart to God. So what we've found is that we can actually find the presence of God if we look around for it, him. And we know Jesus is in our hearts. 
so we can find him there. Maybe, I mean, many of you would have experienced God being present to you at different times and you were talking about him standing with us. Paul wrote in Titus, in Timothy, at my first defense, no one stood with me. So there's a time in his life where no one stood with him, but then he said, but the Lord stood with me and he strengthened me. Does anyone experience that God standing with them and strengthening them? Can you wave at me just so I know I'm just not some weirdo from another country? Okay. And so literally we can have that sense of God standing with us, beside us, in front of us, behind us. Um, John, when he received the revelation, um, he heard a voice behind him and he turned to hear that voice, that sense of God being behind him. And, that, you know, who's had that sense of God being all around us like we're inside him? Anyone? Yeah, a few of us. Thanks, Mark. I can see Jeff here. Mark, Mark knows what I'm talking about. And so we can just reach around and find him. We can reach around and find him. So this takes a couple of minutes to do that. I'm going to ask you a few questions that will help you find him. And this is the God who's revealing himself to you in your life. Not my idea of how he's revealing himself to you, but the way he's present to you in your life. I call him the God who is present. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Some of you are going there already. <laughs> Let's reach around and find him. So in New Zealand, when a man looks for something, he closes his eyes. I don't know if you find that helpful. In my house, when I've lost the keys, you know, I'm looking around trying to find the keys. And I always say to my wife, where's my keys? And, and she goes, they're on your desk. And I've been, I've been looking there, and they're not there. And then she goes and finds them because they're on my desk. So this is a thing we can find. If you want to close your eyes, it actually helps when we're trying to find the presence of God. You don't have to, but, it, but God is present right now. He's present as Father. He's present as Son. He's present as Holy Spirit. And He reveals Himself to us right where we are, whether we should have done some things, would have done some things, or could have done some things. He's actually present to us where we are right now. As Father, as Son, as Holy Spirit. And let's reach around and find Him. Maybe have a sense of Him inside of you. Some of those sighs there, it's pretty obvious you're experiencing Him right now. Maybe you're experiencing Him like an anointing pouring out on you or a wind blowing by you or motion of some kind of the moving of the Spirit in you, on you. Maybe you have a sense, as just as you scan your body right now, maybe the presence of God on your face, your hands, shoulders, maybe parts of your body where you can feel God resting on you. And he's here for you right now, and he loves you, and he's committed to you. Yeah. And he's here right now. And so we're growing in awareness right now. Maybe you have a sense of him in front of you or behind you like John did when he heard that voice or like Paul where God was standing with him somehow. Or you're sitting right now. Maybe you feel him sitting next to you. Maybe you're sitting on him, on his lap. Maybe you're sitting on his shoulders. Maybe have a sense of him standing behind you. Many times, many people feel the sense of God behind them with his hands on their shoulders right now. Maybe you can feel him all around you, that sense of being inside you, <laughs> and even inside you. And maybe 
even in these moments, maybe more than one place at once. And he's here. And tonight he sees you. He hears you. And he understands you. And he's present to you right now. And just right where you are right now, as much as lies within you, I invite you to open your heart to the God who's present to you. Yeah. 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 This is the God who has always loved. And often in these moments, there's a sense of him being gently there quietly there, deeply there, powerfully there. Some of you might be able to tune into the Spirit of God just hovering on us right now. Yeah. 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 And He's present to you where you are in your life. Revealing himself to you, to who you are in your life. Very personal, very present, very real. This is the God who sees you, who knows you, who understands you. And when he's there like that right now, what's he like when he's there? What's the word that pops into your spirit as you think, what's God like when he's here? Is he peace? Joy, depth, comfort, wisdom, understanding. What's God like when he's there for you, just for you? Yeah. Yeah. And we're growing in awareness in these moments. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, for I have not seen, neither has ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. But God has revealed them to us now by his Spirit, even in this moment. When God's there like that, again, what's he like? And as you're aware of his presence, as you're tuning into his presence, what's he giving you or what's he showing you or what's he telling you? What's he giving you? What's he showing you? Or what's he telling you? Maybe you can see him giving you something. Maybe you can experience him giving you something. Maybe you can hear his voice. Maybe when you hear his voice, maybe it's a song or a whisper or a shout or a gentle voice. What's he showing you? What are you seeing right now? Yeah. 
some of you, he's saying to you, I am enough. But there's a question in your heart. How much is enough? When is it enough? When am I enough? And he's saying, on your behalf, he is enough. Get up. That's the sum here. That's definitely not the end.
first I'd like to apologize in that we've had a crossroad last week. Well, you're probably not expecting this, but does anyone want to share what God was giving you, showing you, telling you, what you were seeing? Should I pick on Bruce? Yeah. I just saw him take my heart and hold it in his hands and just to shape it to give um, to place his spirit to give me a new a new heart that's just holding it like this and I can't remember if it was two hands or one hand that he had in his his hand and uh, yeah it's back back inside me again that's good thank you thank you anyone else yeah Mm. 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 He's calm and he's in control of everything and don't worry. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Yeah, but thank you for being brave. Yes. Dissolution. Mm. What's your name? Leslie. Leslie. I can't quite accept all this. Like, does it seem too good to be true? Yeah. 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 And so I love that. I love it all, but that dissolution, like you're caught up in your day, I guess, and things going on, and then he's present, and that's like a reset. Cellular wash. Cool. Anyone else? Thank you, Leslie. Just one or two more. Just one at a time. Ray. Yeah. 
Hey, can I just check with tonight? What was happening tonight? Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Hard to take. You, you said you had a lot of pain, and when his grace comes, it's hard to take it, so he comes gently. Yeah, like, does it seem too good to be true, maybe? Or? Yeah. I know, I put those words there. But yeah. Always ready for the bottom to fall out. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, man. So, yeah, we will have that. Then. I just don't think, yeah. Yeah, actually, can you put it where the cable is? Oh, can you move the cable and then I'll put that there? Look at that. Coordinated. I might even put it up. Just put it up. Just put it up there. Then I can slip off the stairs. Okay, thanks for sharing your. I'm no. I'm sure lots of you um, things are going on, and um, um, I started doing this about 20 years ago, and um, I found it really a, a bit hard at first because I'm used to. I don't know it being much harder. So um, it was really great to hear your testimonies and if it seems too good to be true, it must be God. But some of the times when God turns up in our hearts, um, I remember when I first started experiencing the love of the Father, I, I actually first experienced the love of the Father like heart to heart in Canada, of course. And um, that was in 1994. And... I remember love coming into my life because I, I was I was brought up in a fairly loveless life. I didn't know that until love came. But because I wasn't used to being loved or experiencing being loved, it, felt, it was really hard to receive that love or to believe it was real. And so there's, there's very good reasons for that or very bad reasons for that. And so that's some of the part of... Um, Walking with God heart to heart is, it's, it's, sometimes we struggle with the reality of that. And even in this room tonight, Leslie and Ray were struggling, like, is this even real? Like, you know, like, it's too much for me. Or, or I, it's sort of like, I know when my heart was being touched by love, like, from God himself, these words came. I was, I was, I was amazed. And these words were in my mind thinking, I don't want to be disappointed again. Like, this seems so good. And then this thought, uh, I don't want to be disappointed again. I'm like, when was I ever disappointed that I don't want to get disappointed again? I don't remember getting disappointed in the first place. I, when I, I got saved at 19, it was about 10 years ago now. And <laughs> I'm just really hurt by that laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I got saved at 19 and that was a while ago now and um, it was amazing like I, I won't go into that whole process but let me tell you I was in a very dark place and um, Jesus came into it I don't remember him inviting him too well but he just turned up anyway and he saved me and it, it he changed me from the inside out when he changed me from the inside out he changed me from my heart I didn't know that at the time 
I didn't have any language for what was going on. Um, it was just amazing. And, it, and so when he came, we've just come out of winter in New Zealand. So um, can you see that okay? What about you guys at the back? Can you see that? I drew a heart in case you're wondering. It's not an X or, an, you know, it's not a Mustang or anything. So, um, I know, what is this guy doing? So Jesus came into my heart and, and I got saved. And like my heart, you know, when, when you're born, you know, like I, I help people all around the world, you know, like, and, and I often think when people are, st- we get stuck with things, don't we? We get stuck with a belief system. We get stuck with a view of ourselves. We get stuck with a view of the world. We get stuck with a view of God. And one of the things I try and um, help people, like I need to keep it clear in my own mind, they weren't born this way. You know, it was something happened that got them to the point where they're believing whatever it is that they're believing. And, and I'm trying to say like four things at once. If I'm being confusing, I'm sorry. I'm going to find the way, the thing to say. So getting back to this, Jesus came into my heart and and literally my heart lit up. Like, for whatever reason, God has chosen that this part of us would be his meeting place with us. Like, this is the meeting place. I, I don't know why he chose our heart to meet with us, but nevertheless, he did. So when I'm talking about our heart, I am not talking about that heart of yours that's beating at, I don't know how many beats a minute right now, 60, 72, um, if you're super fit, 45. So he has chosen, I'm not talking about that physical part of our heart, just so we're clear. I'm talking about the part of you that is deeper than your mind and the part of you that is, that is deeper than your emotions. So the part of you that when you say, I changed my mind, that's your, you. And your heart of who you are, you're the person that changed your mind. You see, your mind isn't you, it's part of who you are because you use it in a way that you say, I changed my mind. Unless you didn't change your mind, then I'm not talking about you. If you never change your mind, I'm not talking about you. And so who we are is who we are in our heart. Now, mine's up here somewhere, you know, because, you know, love... Romans 5, 5 says that love is poured into our heart by the Holy Spirit. And, and for the, who, who's, who's encountered something of love being poured into your heart in some place? You really know that, you know, just can you wave at me? Some of, yeah, so you've experienced that. And how many of us thought when love's pouring into our heart, maybe for the first time as a Christian, I mean, when Jesus saved me back in 1981, the so last century, when he saved me, love poured into my heart. He is the manifestation of what love looks like. And he came into my heart. And my heart experienced being loved. Sort of a little bit like when, when I saw my wife <laughs> before I was married. You know, like my heart lit up and we started going out. And I, I would think of her and I would just get excited about it. Like, Nikki, yeah. And I was, it was super cool. And so when, when I got saved, it was like that. Jesus came into my life and this love affair started. Except at 19, who's doing the maths right now? Mark got saved in 1981 and he's 19. No one? Good. Don't do those maths. 
And so when I got saved, this love came into my heart and it lit my heart up. But the thing was, I didn't know what love was, so I didn't recognize what it was when it came. But I experienced it and I got, I came back to life. Because I was born, you know, children are so cute. Have you ever noticed that when babies are born? They're so cute. Who's noticed that? One or two? I really love little babies, you know, like I had two. No, I didn't. My wife did. I was there, though, and I watched it, you know. <coughs> and, and I just think little kids are so cute. And, um, yeah. Now, anyway, don't get lost. No, get back on track. Here they got My kids are grown up now. And, and we are born with such, like, I remember being at primary school. Like, we have, in New Zealand, we have six years of primary school, that's the first school you go, maybe you call that elementary school or primary school, then we have middle school, we call it intermediate school, it's two years, and then we have high school, and that goes on far too long, and, um, but I remember being with this bunch of kids in that elementary school year, years, and we were all just kids, and we run around the playground, you know, and yeah, there was fights and stuff sometimes, but basically we were just kids, and then we went, a lot of us went to different um, intermediate schools, like a bunch went to different places. And then I caught up with some of them at high school. And I was shocked from the ones that I've been in elementary school with, primary school with, skipped a couple of years with them, saw them in high school. When, I left, when we left each other in primary school, they were kids. And then when I met some of them in high school, I started, I saw them again, I started to, want to talk to them how I remember them. They were fun-loving. You know, they were alive. And in those two intervening years, that part of their personality had disappeared. I remember specifically this girl, Mary. She was so fun at intermediate school. I'm sorry, primary school. And then at high school, she, just her personality had shut down. And this guy, Lyle, that I used to... Um, I was at primary school with, he's just one of the kids that ran around, you know. <coughs> I did go to intermediate school with him. He was a good runner. I was a good runner back then. Not such a good runner anymore. And so, you know, we used to do middle distance running together. And then just when he hit high school and stuff, he left school really early. And years later, I got saved and we used to do street outreaches. And I was one of those guys that loved street outreaches. You know, there, there is one or two of us. You know, and 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 I ran into Lyle on the main street of Auckland City, and you know we we're sharing the gospel and all that. And he was, he looked so hard, like he'd turned into a hard man. And I still really liked him, but then he started showing off about being in a fight and stabbing a guy with a knife. You know, like this little kid that used to run around and be so cute and nice and fun, had turned into a guy that's proud of violent acts and he, he carried this intimidation with him and you see so life had happened to him and his heart had got infected with a bunch of stuff you know and it just starts piling up doesn't it life starts piling up because one of the things about our heart is that it's also a recorder it records everything doesn't record it accurately okay your heart records everything. It just doesn't record it accurately. But it remembers how you felt. Remembers how you felt. And so, you know, life happens. 
um, this childlike heart that we have just gets polluted and, you know, stuff happens. It did for me. And um, this is the part of our, our lives that God comes into by His Spirit when we get saved. And uh, I, I just want to teach, uh, just share a couple of scriptures on that part of us. The irony is in the New Testament, you know, is like the Old Testament's a shadow to bring us to Christ. But there's two prophets in the Old Testament that saw something about the condition of the heart in the Old Testament that actually indicates something about our heart in the New Testament, but it's seen from the Old Testament. I worked I work for a pastor, my senior pastor, for five years. I was an associate pastor for him, and um, he taught me two real key things. Um, in ministry, things don't take twice as long as they should. They take ten times longer as they should. That's one of the first things he taught me. The other thing he taught me is that distance brings perspective. Distance brings perspective. And isn't it isn't that true that we when 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 we we're in this thing and 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 things are going on, maybe we get into it with some people or you know, or we just get really angsty or aggro or whatever and we take some distance away from that, some time out. Take some time to breathe. Maybe here you go up into the mountains and walk around. And just being further away from things, we get a different perspective. Distance brings perspective. Well, these two prophets had quite a perspective from the Old Testament. And uh, uh, if you've got a Bible or a device with a Bible on it, you might want to turn there, but you don't have to. But um, which one comes first? Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a super interesting book. Do I go there, Lord? Okay. We just just go there for a moment. Jeremiah's got this verse. Uh, this is not what I want to talk about, but I'm going to just go there for a moment. Jeremiah's got this verse that people reference when we're talking about the heart so often. It's Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And um, lots of people quote that when we talk about the heart. Um, so... In the same book of Jeremiah, see, in the Old Testament, God is seeing the heart that it's deceitful and, and, some, and beyond cure in the Old Testament, right? And then for whatever reason, the very next verse he says, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to, remi- to reward a man according to his conduct, according to his, what his deeds deserve. He searches our hearts. In the Old Testament, it says he searches our hearts to reward us. Wow, this thing that people have seen as deceitful and beyond cure, um, he sees that he searches it to reward us. Because lots of people quote Jeremiah seventeen nine. Oh, that's desperately wicked. And you know, I, I was a King James junkie when I got saved, and it was desperately wicked. Who can know it? You know, and people would quote that. We quoted that because I want you to know when I got saved. This heart stuff, this love stuff, that wasn't for real Christians. You know, we did the work of the ministry, you know. We didn't like talking about love. That was for weak people, you know. And so we did the work of the ministry. It's just that I got burned out doing it and came back to being loved. But that, and so I just need to acknowledge the scripture in case it's hanging around in your head and I'm thinking, I hope I didn't bring that up as a red herring and you got lost with it. But I want you to know that Jeremiah um, wrote these words according to the things that he saw of the condition of the heart in the Old Testament. He wrote that. It's interesting. I can't remember. 
apologize for not kissing you or somewhere, but Okay, I'm moving on. So he so Jeremiah 17 verse 9, he talks about the condition of the heart, but he also has some things to say about the heart in the, in, in Jeremiah 31. And he talks about this new covenant in Jeremiah 31. 33, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. So he's talking about a new covenant that he's going to bring. I haven't included all of that. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel um, after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. So this is something that Jeremiah saw about our heart in the New Testament is that God in the New Testament, that's the one we're in together here, he was going to write on our heart. Isn't that cool? He is going to write on our heart. Now maybe you do memory verse, that's good too, okay? I love memory verse, I usually do it in the King James Version, I remember it better. Iambic pentameter helps my memory. And so God in the New Testament is going to write on our hearts. And this Old Testament prophet sees it. Super cool, eh? I don't know when Jeremiah was around. I should know that, but I don't. And so Jeremiah, sometime in the spirit, maybe the only person of all of Israel that's in this, able to be in the spirit, we can all be in the spirit in the New Testament, but just Jeremiah probably was in the Old. And in the spirit, the Holy Spirit moving upon him allows him to see the heart of believers in the New Testament. And one of the things that God is going to do in the New Testament, in this new covenant, this new agreement, this new contract in the New Testament, is that he's going to write on our hearts. There's no record of him writing on hearts in the Old Testament. He wrote on tablets of stone. And so in this New Testament, one of the things he's going to do is write on the heart. And then Ezekiel saw the same thing. He wrote about it differently, but I just want to jump over there. I think it's Ezekiel 36. Please let me have my notes. Got to find Ezekiel. Here he is. Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel, another prophet, same spirit upon him. God opens the eyes of his heart to see what the heart of the believer will be like in the New Testament. Our heart. And so, in the Spirit, he sees this. Uh, God is promising the, the, the people of Israel this new covenant. And he talks about a bunch of stuff. Ezekiel 36. I will take you out of the nations and gather you. In verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you. I will cleanse you from your impurities. And then he goes on to say in verse 26, so Ezekiel 36 and 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. That's pretty cool, right? In context, he didn't actually give us a new heart, okay? Like pulling that out and kicking it out and getting another one in, you know? Like he renewed our heart in practice. And so what had happened to me in my life, and maybe this happened to you as well, I, I, I was born, I don't know if I had a pure heart when I was born, but it got less and less pure as I got older. It got polluted, it got corrupted. Um, but when I got saved, it was like I had a new heart. It was like, 
It was like something in my heart went back to my childhood. There was some purity there that I, I hadn't had for years. You know, I don't know about you, but one of the other things that happens when you go to primary school is you're just a kid, but when you get to middle school, do you call it junior high here or intermediate or junior high? And in New Zealand, when you get there, everyone tries to be cool from about when you start there, you know. They go from running around and having fun and laughing, and then you get to the junior high, and it's like, you've got to be cool. And you've got to have the right clothes and, you know, the right labels and the right brands and the right look, and you've got to be cool and, and all of that. So my kids, my kids are in their 20s now, but I, I, I had kids late. My, again, my wife had kids late, but I, I was involved too. I don't know if you know anyone. Just move on, Mark. I, and I was 39 when my son was born, so I was a little bit later than other people, and I was just really intentional about growing them up. I, 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 my heart had started to get healed when I was 30, and I was nine years into this journey, and I recognized all these deficits and dumb things that I did, but I recognized the deficits in my life, and one of the things I remember <laughs> was um, being at primary school, and then getting to intermediate school and wanting to be cool like everybody else. So I explained to my kids two years out, when you get to intermediate school, everyone that's running around and having fun right now, they're going to be at intermediate school. They're not going to run around and have so much fun because they're trying to be cool. So being cool is not being yourself. And you're allowed to be cool if you want to be. I won't take that away from you, okay? But you can have fun or you can be cool, but you can't have both but I'm giving you the choice. You be cool or you have fun. So you choose. So I didn't tell him not to be cool, but then Michael thought just to help him, he would create an acronym for cool. So no, I won't say that. No. No, it's just, okay. He said this, I didn't, okay? Can we just blame Michael? Who knows him? Yeah, sorry, Michael, we're blaming you. He, He would say... constipated, overweight old ladies. That's what cool is. That's what he said, not me. But I didn't invent that. But, you know, isn't that great? So he's not being controlled by cool now. He's mocking it. I I like that, you know. So I prefer that than him not being himself. And so that's one of the things that something in my heart, I started shutting down my heart and the joy that was in my heart, the joy of my childhood, I started shutting it down by being cool. I don't know if people suffer from that here. We've got a whole surf culture, which I joined, and then you had to be extra cool and save me, Jesus. And so our heart, it goes through life, it changes. It's super cool hearing what you were saying, you know, that he had your heart there and he was renewing it, yeah? And so, so I will give you a renewed heart and I will put a renewed spirit in you. In my Bible, that spirit there is a small s. It's our human spirit. He'll renew our spirit. And when I got saved, all that stuff that I took on, all the negativity, the coolness, all of that stuff, just the mental health issues that I was going through because I was a drug taker and it was, it was, it was creating mental health issues for me. I didn't know that. But when I got saved, like all that negativity left me. And I had a renewed heart and I had a renewed spirit and it was amazing. Yeah. And uh, I was the guy at the parties that was always getting really out of it all the time, you know. 
And so when I got saved, I actually got saved. I was high on drugs. There were no Christians present. And the Holy Spirit came in the room and told me that, hey, you, you believe in Jesus and you've been denying him. It's about time you actually said you believed him. So I did. In front of the guys I was with, I'm going to be a Christian. The Holy Spirit led me through a repentance cycle about if I'm going to be a Christian, I'm not doing drugs anymore, not doing alcohol anymore, which is fine because you can imagine a guy like me drinking alcohol. I talked a lot and got in lots of trouble. And then the whole thing, you know, I was 19 years old, premarital sex, the whole deal, man. If I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm not doing these things. I'm okay, I'm going to do that. The Holy Spirit led me through that while I'm high on marijuana. No problem for him. But I haven't done those drugs now since March, okay? <laughs> March 1981, just so we're clear, right? <laughs> and so, so all of that stuff that came with that made me really negative, taking all that stuff. I thought it was my, releasing my mind, freeing my mind, all that rubbish. It was making me mentally ill. I'd suffer paranoia. We would think it was funny, man. Yeah, you guys taking drugs, you got paranoia. It's so funny. And all of that stuff, when Jesus came into my life, that shifted. That shifted. And the eyes of my heart opened. And, I, and some of that life that I'd known as a child was reclaimed. And I could enjoy life. And, you know, honestly, when I became a Christian, <laughs> you know, I, I, I saw you could be nice to people. I hadn't, it wasn't something I could, <laughs> it wasn't something I was used to. You know, it was, it was all about, oh no, don't worry what it was about. So I saw I could be nice to people and sometimes when I was a new Christian, I was nice to people. It felt so uncomfortable. <laughs> I was so unused to being nice to people, you know. And so, but he changed my heart and I wanted to be and I, and I could be, but it just felt really weird. Anyway, moving on, Mark. Okay, getting back to it. So see, as examples of a renewed heart and a renewed spirit, who, who, who here that happened to in some way? Not, my, not the way it did. Yeah, isn't that cool? Lots of us. So this is real. Is that what Ezekiel see, saw was real in your life? Isn't that cool? I used to think the Old Testament was boring. He saw us and he said, and I will remove from you the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. <laughs> so renewed part, renewed spirit, renewed, renewed heart, that's instantaneous. It doesn't mean that work's finished. That's what I came to see. But this thing of, of, of giving you a heart of flesh for a heart of stone, that means softening our heart. Why does he soften our heart? Because our heart's the meeting place. And if our heart's hard, and it is, parts of it are hard, we've had to harden our hearts. You know, it sounds, sounds tough when people say you've got a hardened heart or you think I've got a hardened heart, but we've had to harden our heart to protect it. And so, you know, you know, someone hurts us and it wounds our heart, hurts our heart, tears our heart. And so what we do is we build a bit of a wall around it to protect us. You know, like, you ever really hurt your elbow or a part of your body and, you know, when you're around people, right, you're like, you know, I don't want you know, to bump my sore elbow into you. And so we protect it. Same with our heart. You know, when our heart gets wounded by a word or a deed or something really significant, 
we don't know how to deal with it, particularly when we're young and we can't deal with it. And so our heart just naturally tries to protect us by walling up. And we can, you and I, we've protected ourselves with all sorts of things, you know. My number one protection was denial. But I remember there were things that the Lord has led me to deal with that I realized at the time, some things happened to me when I was a teenager, I had no resources within me to deal with them. You know, these days you you can talk to someone. What does that even mean when you've never talked to someone? And so it wasn't until much later that I could actually um, start to look at that and God could come into that and untangle the mess that was there. And so in the meantime, our heart just naturally hardens itself. And so when love pours into our heart, when love pours into our heart, that's cool, you know. Love poured into my heart the first time. I was like, this is so amazing. Like love had been pouring into my heart ever since I got saved. I just didn't, wasn't connected to it. And so I thought that when love poured into my heart and I could experience the love of the Father, I just thought, wow, this is going to be how it is for the rest of my life, every day, right? I've cracked this Christian thing now. Love's come. I feel so good. I'm going to live here forever. Anyone ever felt that was going to this has sorted everything out now, and it's going to be amazing from now on, every moment of every day. Anyone? Yeah. Yeah, we don't want to put our hands up, eh? Like, it's just like, God. Who's happened a few times? Like, I have. So, yeah. So, then love comes right, and you think love pouring into your heart, and then what comes out of your heart? Life's going to be, you know, like teddy bears and chocolates and roses all the time. And really good surf, for those of you that surf. And, I, and, and so, but what happens when love pours into a wound? Why don't you tell me, what comes out? Pus. Pus. That's a good answer. Pus. Ew. Yuck. So, love pours into our heart and pus comes out. Now that's confusing, isn't it? Especially when we know love poured into my heart, man, is so amazing being loved by God. It's so good. I don't even know if it's true. How can it be true? But he does love me. Like, wow. Like, how come I've got pus? What else? What other than pus comes out when love pours into a wound? Denial's a sort of, yeah, that's good, but denial's a suppression thing too. You know, it's part of our protection but you're right. See what love does? It exposes our protection. When love comes in, it reveals the unlove. And when love comes in, it exposes our protection system like denial. What else do you think comes out of a wound? I don't know, anger. Perfect. <laughs> you could say, I don't know something else if you want. If you uh, there you go. I don't know. Frustration. So pus, anger, frustration. Okay. Those two are really good, man. Anyone else? Frustration, anger, you actually are really good at this. Bitterness, okay, anybody else that hasn't said something? <laughs> Grief, wow, that's hard. That's really hard. Anything else? Unworthiness. See, love pouring into our heart. I, love pouring into our heart exposes the unlove in our heart. Okay? unworthiness when love comes he he can make you feel worthy worthy of love 
I point that out to people sometimes. So what we agree on, however, I mean, I could, I could do an extensive list here based on what you tell me. Let's do two more. What else? Shame. Love pours into our heart and shame comes out. Yep. What else? Unforgiveness is exposed. Okay, we're getting good. Let's two more. <laughs> Fear, indeed. Yeah, that's very biblical. Fear comes out. What else? One more. Pride. Pride's exposed. One more then. <laughs> Conflict. Conflict. I'm, um, I, I, I don't know. Hate. Oh my goodness. So, this is a Christian's heart, by the way, right? This is a Christian's heart. This is my heart. This is other people's hearts. So what we know, now I didn't tell you any of this, you told me. So you know this. This is what's stunning about, well, I remember when, one day when I started doing this, it was a spontaneous moment. I'm astounded by what we know is in our hearts. It's like there. But the wonderful thing about this stuff in our heart is this is what Jesus died for us for. Like he died for us before we got saved and he died for us afterwards as well. I don't know if you know this stuff to be dealt with after you got saved. Anyone? Did you know that? I didn't. I didn't think there was anything else to be dealt with, man. Like I'd been saved. Jesus had come. I got baptized in water. That's the real baptism right under the water in board shorts. Extra good. Extra good baptism if you're in your surf shorts, right? And then they prayed for me and I received the Holy Spirit. And in my church, you're a super Christian if you prayed in tongues, right? We, anyone go to a super Christian church? I, I did. We thought we were better than everyone else because we prayed in tongues. I don't know if you have Christians like that here, do you? You don't. You do? Okay, I was, one of, I was one of those, okay? I'm not that guy anymore, okay? And it was March 1981, the last time I did drugs. Not March this year, just so we're clear. And so all this stuff comes out. When love comes, and I don't know who said fear, but we actually there's a biblical precedent for that, isn't there? Perfect love casts out, casts out a bunch of other stuff as well, by the looks. And what does a Christian do with this? Let me see if Ezekiel knows anything else about this. Yeah, and I will uh, for the heart of stone, I will give you a heart of flesh. So I want you to know this process of the wounded parts of our heart that we've built our protection system up. Who, who said denial? Don't deny it. Good on you, man. <laughs> so denial, you see, is part of our protection system. What else do you think is part of our protection system? Projection. Perfect. Projection, right? If you don't know what projection is, projection is... <laughs> I'm feeling really angry, so I tell you, you're angry at me. <laughs> That's projection. <laughs> and the transference? Transference is when I'm dealing with Bruce over here, and I was in Australia once and got treated really badly by an Australian, so I transfer this experience of Australians onto Bruce because he's an Australian. So he's responsible. Let's frame Bruce. So that's a protection system. We're not engaging with our heart. We're transferring what we're feeling on somebody else and blaming them for how we're acting out like they're feeling it when we're feeling it 
or yeah okay anyway we won't go into those psychological terms by the way i've got a youtube degree <laughs> in clinical psychology you <laughs> youtube level <laughs> okay um what other what other protection systems do we have here this wall here denial yeah we isolate and turn away from people actually unforgiveness is also a protection yeah oh that's a good one self-righteousness that's super good one um self-righteousness that's yeah i could go and i could unpack self-righteousness but i won't so we anyway we just agree we have these protection systems and what we're trying to do is protect our wounded parts you know the parts that are hurt torn ripped damaged and and we just want to keep them away uh, from others and stop them being re-hurt again and we might even say things like i'll never trust that kind of person again or i never trusted Australia. oh sorry <coughs> i never trust authority again you know i'll never trust a man again a woman again i'll never trust my parent again i'll never trust my brother sister again i'll never trust i'll never trust i'll never trust and what we're saying is I'm i want to protect this from happening again so i'm going to build this wall around here and you see in all the areas that we have stuff like this i i even isolated a part of my heart well i didn't the lord revealed it to me i had a whole part shut off down here because of pain it's just shut off man it was <laughs> i don't know why i'm so light about this but anyway when the pressure comes on when love pours into a wound stuff comes out but also when pressure comes on in our life what's in our heart comes out stuff like this and so i want you to know when it comes out this is the working you can you can just condemn yourself if you want to if that if that works for you um and we do we want to beat ourselves up and think you know if i was somehow better i wouldn't behave like this speaking on my behalf and where do we go with that stuff well i want you to know that this promise of giving us a heart of flesh for a heart of stone is this process this is this process here love pours into our heart and reveals the there's two things going on here i'm giving an example of so because <laughs> it's a little bit unclear now what's going on in this drawing love pours into our heart and exposes the unloved love pours into our heart and pours into wounds and what's in our wounds comes out and when that comes out it's super important that we bring it to him honestly because we can we can bring it to him honestly so much of our christian experience we've thought i have to be good i gotta be perfect i gotta be right i gotta i gotta i gotta i gotta and and whatever is going on within that behavior the very things that he died for us for as christians as people as human beings all these things here he's still keen to engage with us here he will engage with your past and you can engage with him 
with this stuff. And the amazing thing is he loves you there. When all this is going on, when you hate yourself for it, you know, like look at the look on my face because I know the stuff that I do sometimes. I used to think, how could God possibly love me? I'm so ashamed of myself. And I projected what was in my heart onto God, which was I'm ashamed of me. He must be ashamed of me as well. So I'll try and keep this down and hidden and I won't tell anyone about it. Trouble was, that only lasts a few years. If you're in your 20s, you know, you can grunt it out. But in your 30s, it'll find you out. And look at me, I'm, I won't tell you how old I am. But you, you can keep it down and you can keep that face on for a period and you can be full on for Jesus and I was and, 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 and just live this life of like ignoring it, denying it. But it slips out and, you know, when we face it, it's horrible to have to face this stuff. It was the first time for me anyway. Now I love it. Now I'm like, this needs to go somewhere and I've got a place to take it. I was 30 years old, like I got saved at 19 and I got married at 22 to Nikki. I'm still married to her. She still loves me. She told me today, it's good, eh? <laughs> 39 years later, she still loves me. I'm still amazed by it because she lives with me. She knows what I'm really like, okay? You just see this version. She knows the whole version, okay? And she still loves me. So I'm very appreciative of that. And I... I um, became a very successful salesman in New Zealand. I was top in my industry. The first year as a salesman, I sold 155% of my sales targets. And, the, you know, if you've worked, who's worked as a salesperson? Yeah. They always put your sales targets up when you're successful, eh? And then they want to pay you less. Yep. <laughs> so they stuck my sales target up. So the next year I sold 200% of my sales targets. And um, I was working towards that and I was very driven, um, and I believe God, you know, I mean, it was amazing. Where do I go with this? Okay. So, just before I go on and tell you the story, I just want to read you this in First John 3. I love the writing of John. John seems was the youngest of the disciples um, and the one who was the most intimately close to Jesus. He was so close to Jesus, I'm not comfortable to be that close to a man like John was with Jesus. Like, laid with his head on his breast, you know, like, <laughs> I am not comfortable doing that with a man, okay? And so, <laughs> even Jesus, but John did, okay? And, and, and he heard his heartbeat. He literally heard the heartbeat of God. How cool is that? Like literally. And so he was so close to Jesus. He had this intimate relationship with Jesus. Um, and he's the one that writes about love. He also is, the, you know, is attributed to writing the book of Revelation. You know, they call it the Revelation of John. It was revealed to John. And the reason it was revealed to John is that John knew love, and love opens your 
eyes of your heart to see. And so John saw this incredible prophetic revelation written down 2,000 years later. We're still reading it, wondering what it means. <laughs> but he saw it. And so, he, and so I, 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 I'm a bit of a John junkie when it comes to the Bible. I like the entire Bible, but I really like uh, John. He's a bit, bit of one of my favorites. And he talks about love. He knows lots about love. Stay on track, Mark. And then he says this about belonging to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. This is John in 1 John 3 and verse 19. He's talking about set our heart, setting our hearts at rest in his presence. Isn't that cool? We were setting our hearts at rest in his presence this evening when we started. Found him present. He got washed in a way that dissolved all the stuff that was not at rest. Rest came. Rest's a person, by the way. And so we set our hearts at rest in his presence. And whenever, so we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. Yeah. Does it really say this in the Bible? There are things in the Bible that are just amazing. I, I won't go to Romans 7. It's the most amazing chapter in the Bible. Anyway, we, we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. So it's our hearts that condemn us. I don't know. That's just what the Bible says. What would I know? I just read it out. Our hearts condemn us. Our hearts condemn us. I feel condemned. Well, according to that, I'm not saying 100% of the time our hearts condemn us, but often when we're feeling condemned, we're imagining God's condemning us. Like, I was so ashamed of my behavior. I'm going to tell you a story in a moment about how the behavior I was ashamed, but I was carrying the shame around in my, in my heart about my behavior. But I was projecting, like you said, what was in me onto God. And thinking, God must be ashamed of me because I'm meant to be super Christian. But Paul, no, it's John. John wrote John, didn't he? <laughs> he has some insight there. He says our own hearts condemn us. And sometimes when we feel condemned, we project that onto God and think God's condemning me when it's our hearts. And so John has learnt somehow to set his heart at rest in God's presence. And he's saying, we can do this. We do this whenever our heart condemns us. For God is greater than our hearts and knows everything. <sighs> That's so cool. I was a really successful salesman. I was really driven. I, had a, I was deficit driven, okay? I wanted to be someone. I was a Christian. I was doing all the super Christian stuff. Very involved in church. And... Um, Acres and acres and acres of denial in my heart. And um, there's inconsistencies in me that were un weren't consistent with what a Christian is. And um, very driven, wanted to be the best at what I did. I did like the money. I, I, I did want the award, but I just wanted to be the best because in my heart, something was missing. <laughs> <coughs> I didn't walk with God heart to heart yet. This is how I started doing it. And um, yeah. so I became a, um, 
Yeah, I became a salesman. My dad used to be a salesman. I had total disrespect for my dad. That was something I've had to walk through. And um, my dad was a salesman, so I had a very low opinion of salesmen. I didn't, couldn't see it in my heart that that was the connection. Was I had a low opinion of my dad, and I had a low opinion of salespeople, the very um, profession he was in. But I became a salesman. <laughs> it wasn't so I could be the best in the country. That wasn't God's agenda. He was wanting me to face my relationship with my father. And I remember I used to work in, in Auckland City. The main street of Auckland City is called Queen Street. Our office was on Queen Street. And back in those days, you could park on Queen Street and you could get a park. It was a long time ago. And I remember parking in front of our building and walking across the footpath and this voice spoke to me from up here. There was, uh, ironically, there's no one around me at the moment. This voice said to me, who are you trying to impress? And I nearly said my father, but I stopped myself because I don't walk with God like, I didn't know him like I know him now. And I didn't know where that voice came from and I certainly didn't want to face the, what the question was asking. It was too much for me in that moment. So I'm trying to be this super salesman and I do all the training and set my goals and all that. My wife, um, she didn't really like me. <laughs> She told me, she's so funny, my wife. She, yeah, I went, she just thought I became, I wasn't being myself. I became this other guy. And anyway, I'm working hard towards my goals and all of that. And I went to see, um, I, I typed up a quotation one day and I was out to take, I was leaving to go to the client. And when you're a salesperson, sometimes you know you just need to, just do all the steps and you'll close the sale. Other ones you're not sure and some you know you haven't got a clue. But this one, I knew it was going to go somewhere real good and I really wanted to go and see the client and close the sale. And I, I, I was off out the door and I thought, oh, there's a part of this that I have to get from another division of the company. So I went over there and Dave was meant to have done that. And I went into Dave's office. I said to his secretary, oh, it's David. And she goes, no, he's not. And I go, I need that quotation that that he's done for me, she goes, I don't know anything about that. And I'm a good Christian. I'm going to church three or four times a week. I do all sorts of good Christian things. And I do the thing that a Christian should do when he's super disappointed, right? Hallelujah, praise the Lord. I, I did the complete opposite. I got super angry and kicked the handle off a door, pushed that door into the wall, put a hole in the wall, and used a bunch of words that I'm not going to repeat in this building, okay? Don't fill in the blanks. I told you not to fill in the blanks. Don't do that. And so um, went out to the client, made the sale, went home to Nikki, and I said, have I got an anger problem? You think? And she said, yes, you have. <laughs> I love my wife. And I'm 30 years old, and I don't know what to do with this. I'm a Christian. I go to church. I love Jesus, but I don't know what to do with this, and I've never known what to do with this, but it's time to face it. And my heart was condemning me. And so, thank God for God. I did have a friend. We'd been church planning in England for three years, and he'd come back to New Zealand as I had, and I went and saw him, and I just took a risk with him. And I told him what happened. 
And he said, Mark, you need to give this to Jesus. <laughs> I have no idea how to do that. He said, you're probably wondering how to do that. And I have to say, when he said that, hope entered my heart. Because my Christian experience up until then was all these standards that I had to meet. <laughs> the more I went to church, the more standards I heard, right? And then I'm trying to meet that standard from a couple of weeks ago, and now I've got some more, and I haven't even finished that one yet, and now I've got some other things that I've got to do. And I was getting worn down. I didn't know any of this. I didn't know any of this was going on, but that was what was going on. And... um. And now I've got failure. Like, and he said, you're probably wondering how to do that. And hope entered my heart for two reasons. This wasn't another standard I had to meet. It sounded like there was a way out of this. And it sounded like my friend was going to help me. And I hadn't known anyone that would do that or that it was even available to me. And he took me to James 5.16. Now, I knew James 5.16 really well. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That's the King James Version. I think the NIV is the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. I knew that really well. But I didn't see the first part of the verse, which says, this is the context of those words. Confess your faults to each other and pray for each other. Confess your faults to each other and pray for each other. And he said, Mark, you need to uh, get down on your hands and knees before Jesus and just tell him all about this. <laughs> I was so desperate. I've had 11 years of denial, you know, all my 11 years of Christianity in denial. Um, and I just don't like failure. It's actually the greatest opportunity, but I didn't like failure then. I still don't like failure now, but it's our greatest opportunity. And so... I said, Andrew, can we do this now? Like we're in a restaurant, so we didn't do it there. We went around to his house and I got down on my hands and knees and I just told Jesus all about me and what exactly what I told you, but I told him all the words. Okay, I'm not saying you should do this. It's just what I did. And this thing happened. I didn't know what would happen. I just want to get this literally off my chest. You know, like it's weighing on me. And... And you see what I was doing? I'd been doing all this work for him. It's like he would, even if he showed me what to do, like I should preach the gospel, you know. And in, in my church we were told when we got saved to read the book of Acts, not the gospels, we read the gospel second because we've got to get on with the work of the Lord, right? So we do the Acts of the Apostles. Let's go. And um, I, I look back on those early that early year or two, I can tell you God was pouring his love into my heart. He was pouring revelation into my heart, but I was missing it because I was too busy. It's like maybe he was just sharing his love with me, sharing his heart with me, and he did. And it was like, oh, thanks for that, Jesus. I'm going to go and serve you. Just wait right there. I'll be back. And look look what I've done. Look how good I am. So I was doing all this stuff for him, but his intention was we was the with. Do it with him. Oh my God. Doing stuff with God is better for him. How do you do that? Well, I can't tell you that tonight. <laughs> but I can tell you this. It's a possibility for us all. But what happened was, you see, that night, 
instead of doing all this stuff for him, I came back to where it began. I invited him into this mess as a Christian. And he loved me so well. Now, I didn't even know he could. I seriously didn't know he would. I, I just knew I was ashamed that he came into my heart so beautifully. And at this point in my life, again, I don't walk with God heart to heart at this point. Oh, well, I just, this is how it started for me, just being vulnerable with my weaknesses. I, I'm sorry I used the word just because it's not that easy, is it? Being vulnerable with your weaknesses. But I, I, this is literally what happened. Jesus, like, came in, it was like he came into my heart, and th- I've never had visions or anything, or maybe I had when I first got saved. I don't hear the, at, the, at this time in my life, I don't hear the voice of the Lord clearly at all. The Holy Spirit doesn't guide me, lead me, and, 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 and bring things into remembrance because I'm too busy for God to hear him. I'm too busy, God, to hear his heart for me. That's my heart up there, that mess, or your heart. But God's got a heart too, and he loves to share his heart with us. His intention in the gospel is that we come back to walking heart to heart with him. And it happened that day. He, he came back into my heart like he was there all the time, but I was too busy serving him to let him in, and I was too busy serving him to realize he's actually with me closer than I imagine. And so in desperation and failure, I reach out to him, and he came into my heart. And the reason I'm sitting on the stool here is because he came into my shame. I was so ashamed of me. I don't know about you, I want him to take it away. Take it away, Jesus, take it away, take it away. What if he's not going to take it away? What if he's going to do something else with it? And so I want him to take away my shame, but he didn't. I don't, he did something better. I, didn't, I just never even knew he could do this. He came and sat down in my heart, in my shame, and he looked at me in the eye. I can't explain any of this to you, but this is what happened. He looked me in the eye, and he didn't say anything, but in his eyes... He was telling me, this thing you're ashamed of, Mark, to me, it ain't nothing. It ain't nothing. And you're ashamed of you. But me, I'm going to sit down in the middle of it because when I went to the cross, I scorned shame. But I specifically remember these words. I'm going to set up shop here and I ain't leaving. So, he didn't say any of that, and somehow he communicated all that to me by looking at me. I'm going to set up shop here, and I ain't leaving. And it's like my heart in my heart, I'm going, no, this can't be possible. This is, this is too amazing. And I couldn't see this. only in the last year or two this is when I started walking with God because I learned something that day I used to say I confessed my sins to him but I, and I did but at a deeper level than the confession of sin I was vulnerable with my weaknesses and that changed the trajectory of my life I want you to know that not everything was sorted out and I didn't have amazing days forever for the rest of my life in fact, I've had some real tough days. 
but the trajectory of my life changed. I started walking with God. In the first 11 years of my life, I was walking with serving Him. And from that point, I started to walk with Him. You know, and I didn't even know, <laughs> I didn't even recognize that till like in the last year or two. But from that moment, I started walking with God because I was vulnerable with my weaknesses with Him and our, the, our vulnerabilities and our weaknesses exist here. Paul discovered this and um, Second Corinthians 12 I guess some of you knew I was going there verse 7 I think it is oh no Second Corinthians 12 verse 7 so Paul had this amazing amount of revelation and um Second Corinthians 12 verse 7, just he had so many revelations, he even went up into the third heaven if you read that. It's just amazing. But the Lord wanted to keep him grounded because have you ever seen these people who have visions and all that? <laughs> A lot. They're not that grounded. And so to ground him, um, um, well, let's use his words, to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing great revelation. So, There was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. And so what you see here is when we have surpassing great revelations, what Paul is telling us is that we can become conceited. And God sees this and wants to save him from that, so he gives him a thorn in the flesh. It's tough. And so it doesn't say what that is. Lots of people guess what it is. And, and three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. And, you know, I was pleading with the Lord, take the shame away from me. Well, I didn't even know what it was, but I just wanted him to take it all away from me. And, 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 and Jesus said this to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in our weakness. So we don't want weakness, we don't want infirmities, we don't want failure. <laughs> we want to be triumphant super Christians for Jesus. Well, okay, maybe I'm not projecting that onto you. But there's something in us that wants to do well, you know. And what Jesus is saying to Paul here is that my grace is sufficient for me, for my power is made perfect in weakness. This is the only place I've seen in the Bible where power is made perfect. Power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, yeah. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Wow. So I did this. I think this was July twenty seventh, nineteen ninety two, because I went back and looked up the quote, like to see where that was, the quotation that I'd done for the company, because I knew it was on that day, and. Um, I just started sharing my weaknesses with Jesus all the time. And then I'd tell everyone else about my weaknesses as well. And, and my, <laughs> my wife says, I don't think that's wise, okay? I want to tell you a story about that. And so my wife says, Mark, you don't have to tell everyone what's going on in your heart all the time. I go, why not? It's going on there. I have to really freeing. She goes, yeah, but they don't want to know. And I go, and she goes, and it's just, you know. So, okay, just to acknowledge that, right? 
And so, he talks about, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So, in weakness, his power is made perfect. Isn't that cool? Perfect power requires your weaknesses, your vulnerabilities. Therefore, I boast more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power might rest on me. What he's saying here is when he's sharing his weaknesses, I'm not, I'm not calling you to boast about your weaknesses, okay? But when we share our weaknesses out loud with him, with another, that's the way I did it anyway. Christ's power rests on me. There's a thing about power in this place of weakness and vulnerability with him. Power is made perfect and power rests on us. I like that. And I lent that day to pay the price and I have been paying it ever since. Um, and I love paying it because of what's on the other side is freedom. And I want you to know that I, I had, you know, become a Christian and so in love with Jesus and so enthusiastic and so involved in everything. And then, you know, we all hear that scripture in Revelation 2 about first love and that we've got to return to our first love and, you know, all that energy and all that got to wear out sometime. And I thought, yeah, I have to return to my first love. And I tried all these things and failed, like striving to get back to my first love. Let me tell you how I got back there. Well, I just brought my sin and my shame as an offering. <laughs> the love that loved me first came back into my heart in the area where I was ashamed. He's always loving me. He was always in my heart. I just wasn't aware of it. And first love found me. It wasn't my effort. Yeah, I told him I was vulnerable with my weaknesses, but his love came again and love me first, where I just had shame and anger and all of this stuff. And then he went on to say, that is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. When I'm weak, when I'm str then I'm strong. We quote that, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. When we're going through these difficulties and persecutions and hardships, when we, we turn to him about them and share them with him and maybe with another, because sometimes it's so hard, we can't actually bring this stuff to him. It's just too hard. We need someone to help us. I went through an extended period of that a couple of years ago where I, I couldn't bring it myself I had to bring it to someone else. Someone had to help me get there. Like, come on, man. We'll get to you. Just bringing it to Jesus. And so, I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what you struggle with. I don't know what your weaknesses or your infirmities are. But I do know this. Those things that you struggle with the most that the things that I don't want you to know about me and you don't want me to know about you, those things, they're the places that he loves to visit you and him. And instead of pushing them down, hiding them, or f 
trying to do all this good to cancel out all the bad, we can bring them to him as an offering and it's an offering he will accept. It's an offering we will accept. He will accept. And you know, you know, John wrote well that our hearts condemn us and so the stuff goes on in our heart and it's this accusation, I, some people call it the internal critical parent within us that beats us up for doing stuff wrong. Sometimes we even think we're doing God a favour by beating ourselves up. But there's a place for it. There's a place for all this stuff. And it's here. It's right here. And it's where it all belongs. And what's so cool about the cross is that all that stuff on that list belongs here. And we can bring it to him when love pours into our heart and exposes all this brokenness. We can bring it here when the pressures of life explode out of our heart and we're behaving in a way that we don't like. We can bring it here. We can bring it to Jesus, bring it to the cross, bring it to the person of Jesus and share it with him. And he will take our offering from us every time. Yeah. 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 So there's Jeremiah and there was Ezekiel and they saw this. I'm not a hunter. I don't know about rifles much, but my son is. And, um, you know, when you fire a, a rifle, you line up the back sight and the foresight, the old one. And uh, if you line them up right, you hit your targets. And for me, it's like Jeremiah and Ezekiel are like those foresight and the back sight. And you line those two up, you get an insight into the whole New Testament that the target of the whole New Covenant is your heart and mine. Not just getting saved, but walking with God heart to heart and bringing everything that's in there, whether you like it or not. You can bring it to him. I'm not telling him you have to. I'm telling you you can. And he, he accepts it. He's a guy. I mean, he's dying for you to give it to him. In fact, he's already died for you to give it to him. This is how I meet with him heart to heart. This is how I, this is part of how I walk with him heart to heart, is bringing what I have. here we are Lord and here you are and I, so, I thank you that you are so committed to us I thank you that you see each one of us that you love each one of us that you understand us even when we don't understand ourselves and we're disappointed with ourselves or disgusted with ourselves or, or even super happy with ourselves that you see us you understand us and so for those areas of our lives right now that that we're aware of 
the events of our life that Holy Spirit, maybe in these moments you have uh, reminded us of the people in our lives from that maybe you've reminded us of that we have something in our hearts about them or from them or, or just emotions in our hearts. Lord, in this place, we lift them up to you. Yeah. We lift them up to you. I've learned to do two things in these things in my heart. One of them is I bring them to him like an offering. Jesus was in the temple one day and the rich people were giving their offerings into the temple and then a poor widow came and gave her two mites or two cents. She gave out of her weakness, out of her poverty. And I've learnt to bring these things to him as an offering that isn't worth much. That day, when, when I met with him again, I brought anger and shame. That was my offering that day. So we, we can bring something and give it as an offering. Or we can invite Jesus into it. Jesus, I invite you into my anger. I invite you into my shame. I invite you into my disappointment. I invite you into my denial, my frustration, my bitterness, my grief, whatever that is, you can invite him in there because these are the things he died for us for. And so tonight, Jesus, thank you that you're here and you're loving us and you're for us and you died for us. For us to know you here and the weaknesses and the infirmities of our hearts. So maybe you're aware of some things in your life right now. I'm not going to call you to do anything public, but you can do this. You can lift them like I, I do this. I, it's like I reach into my heart and I give them to him. You can do that with them if that's helpful. One of the things it's, I've learned that's super important, and we don't have to do this now, is that it comes out of your mouth. You say it out loud to him. David discovered this in Psalm 32 and it's been free. The other thing is we can do is we can invite him in. We give it to him as an offering or we invite him in or we do both. And you can try it. You can do it now if you want. Maybe there's some areas of your heart right now that you could lift up as an offering to him. Maybe there's some areas of your heart you can invite him into tonight. So why don't you just do that? Just while we're sitting here, you could do it quietly. I'll keep praying for you. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. And so we bring our offering to you tonight, Lord. We lift up our two mites, our two cents, our two nothings, things that aren't worth much, our weaknesses and our infirmities, and we bring them as offerings to you tonight. Here they are. This is us giving them to you. And if we need to give them to you tomorrow, we'll give them to you tomorrow as well. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. So you can give them as an offering. Or you can invite them into them. Maybe you want to do them both. You know, on that day, I invited them into my anger and my shame. You don't need to use any of your defense mechanisms or make any big decisions about what you're going to do. Let him come and do his work in your heart. Maybe you can invite him into grief. 
or event that you're thinking of of people or emotions that you're feeling right now. Maybe there's some tension in your body that wasn't there earlier. You can put your hand on that and invite them into that tension. Often we carry tension on the line down the center of our body or in our back. You can invite them into that physical tension in your body. He is Lord and He is your Savior. And he does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. The areas that we struggle and he died for, not just died for far away. He comes into them and begins a good work that he can complete. Maybe frustratingly, not in our time frame, but in his. And he's working right now. And his spirit, I can feel his spirit easing into some people's hearts. And let me tell you, when his spirit comes, it's deeper than our mind and deeper than our emotion, reaches deep within us. Yeah, yeah. For some, he's opening the eyes of our heart now to see how he's moving within our own hearts. He that is near to hear, let him hear. and she that have eyes to see may you see and may our hearts increasingly understand all that you have for us Lord in the days and weeks and years ahead and for all the things you have done for us Lord and are doing in us and continue to do in us Lord we are thankful
for some of you, I can see light is pouring in.
know, um, it seems like uh, there was a message uh, about the Father wanting to connect us father heart to heart, and it's a message that Mark brought to us last last week. And it's a journey of of intimacy, and that's the destination is of uh, just being so connected to Him and connected to us and he already is uh, but it's coming into that that experience of that so I wanted to thank Mark uh, for coming and um, uh, yeah it's uh, it's just something awesome and I think it's a message for everybody obviously it's we've heard it a few times so the last week and this week and uh, it's just so wonderful uh, I just wanted to uh, um, tell you about if you'd like to make an offering to Mark, um, and I don't want to give it out of I don't want you to give out of obligation, but just simply, everything happens out of our hearts, and so if you'd like to uh, to give, he hasn't asked for anything. Um, I he didn't ask for anything for airfare or travel, just simply um, uh, wanted to come. So if in your own heart that you'd like to give. Um, Please do, and there's several ways you could do that. Uh, we're going to take the ba offering basket around, um, and you can write a give us cash or check or uh, make the check out to Junction Church uh, with Mark Head in the memo, and you can do uh, um, e-transfer, uh, email transfer, and the uh, um, the email address is donations at Nelson Covenant. Dot com. That's donations at nelsoncovenant.com and put a note for Mark Head. So, uh, yeah, let's just do that. So um, the other thing I want to mention is uh, uh, Mark is going to be speaking tomorrow at 10 a.m. So I'd like to invite you all to come along to that. And uh, we'll have the regular Sunday service, but Mark will be um, delivering the message. Uh, also, Mark has a website. He has uh, followers um, that uh, are part of a group. And I know uh, Susanna, who's here, is part of that, that one of the, uh, a following of that. And there are over 70 people that are international all around the world, throughout the world, Europe. And so, um, Mark, did you want to mention what that is? I, 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 I know people sign up for it. Uh, there's a, a video. Yeah, I would like to, but um, I'm not really in the zone for talking about it. But I, I can say that... 
I do have a website called findinghome.net. That's finding-home.net or finding... That's a Facebook group I've got as well. So if you go on there... Oh, yeah, I'm not on the zone today. That's all right. Keep going there. Go back there and uh, go back with the father. Uh, yeah, it, it's basically finding home, uh, finding-home.net. Uh, you can find out more about it. Um, and the Facebook is Finding Home with Mark Head. Um, and, uh, yeah, people, si uh, people signed up. There's a weekly group, video, uh, teachings, uh, recorded videos, etc. And uh, it's amazing um, uh, what the Father is doing and uh, what he really wants to do for all of us is, is to bring